Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Hey, good morning, City Light. Hey, can we just acknowledge it's July 5th on Sunday morning, and you guys are here. Like, let's just, I mean, there's some times in life where you feel like you've achieved something, and getting up the day after 4th of July, like, I, that's an achievement, right? Like, I was up before 9 a.m. So, um, like, you know, we say store up treasures in heaven. I feel like these are one of those practical things where you can say, God, I hope I'm storing up some treasures in heaven, because we could be at home sleeping in, right? Everyone was up late last night, but you're here, and so I just want to, I just want to give you guys an attaboy. Um, proud of you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book uh, of Psalm, chapter 85. That's where we're going to be. As, we, as I was praying about the message, I was praying about what psalm to jump into, um, one of the ways that we approach uh, sermon prep, or I hope, hope we approach sermon prep, is that we want the, want the Spirit to lead. And so it's not just, hey, I think this is, this is neat, this is cool, this is catchy. Instead, it's saying, God, what, what do you want those who you love to hear? And so we, we want to hear that and then use that then to write and craft a sermon. And as I was praying, I just landed upon my heart, Psalm 85. And the reason Psalm 85 is because it's a psalm of lament. I don't, I don't expect you guys to know what a lament is, but how many of you guys have ever complained in your life? One of you, two of you, the rest of you, you're lying. You need to repent, okay? All right. So lamenting is kind of like complaining, but it's, it's complaining the right way. So it's kind of like in, in your job, if you complain horizontally, you're destructing and, and you're probably going to get fired at some point, right? But if you complain vertically and you do it constructively, you might get promoted. So there's actually a good lamenting or a good way to offload that which we see is broken in the world. Uh, think of it like lamenting as like uh, cleaning your house. I mean, hopefully everyone in here has cleaned once or twice in your life. You've ran a vacuum. Maybe you've done dishes as much as you might hate it. You've vacuumed out your car. You washed it during the winter. We've cleaned maybe once or twice in our life. Hopefully once, twice, a few times. Maybe some of us hu- husbands need to stuff up our game a little bit, right? Um, stereotyping a bit there. But lamenting is kind of like cleaning of the heart, cleaning of the mind. Like we, we get the brokenness off our chest. Like we, we come to God and we say, God, I am hurt and I'm broken. God, I see this in the world and, and it's bothering me. So, so lamenting is, is the ability to come before God with honesty and sincerity. Because I think sometimes what we tend to do in Christian circles, like a lot of you walk through this door and people said, how are you doing? How did most of you guys respond? You're doing good. Even though you're dog tired, right? I'm doing good, but I'm dog tired right? I think sometimes we approach our relationship with God the same way in prayer. We come before him, we say, God, I'm doing good. When the honesty is we're really not. Like we, we live in a day and age right now where it's hard to do good. It feels like everybody's angry. It feels like everybody's attacking. And so we need to be able to come to God and lament. At the very least, if, it were, if we're doing well, lament what's happening in our society. Like, God, there's brokenness. God, people are being murdered. People are being harmed. Like our country is dividing itself. God, would you, could you revive us? Would you do something? And so lamenting is a way of cleansing and keeping ourselves healthy and whole. Because what happens if we don't lament, if we don't take that grief before God, that one grief turns into a seed that is sown in our heart and our mind. And like a fruit tree, it begins to bear and then grow other fruits, which then becomes a forest. And so my heart, heart for us is very practically, I want us to know how to lament and know why to lament so that we can be healthy and whole, but also have a deep relationship with our Father in heaven. 
Okay? How are we doing so far? Are we doing okay? Yeah. We're doing good? I'll, I'll try to be brief because I know a lot of you guys are tired, right? Do you feel like, like me? If you, like, we got a ton to clean up. I'm like, oh, we'll get to it later. So <laughs> that's what happens. Um, it, so let's, let's open up the Psalm 85 and let's read the first three verses here. The psalmist of 85 helps us learn how to lament. And he says this. He says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquities of your people, and you covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. So here's the psalmist. This is someone who has a relationship with God, and he anchors his lamenting in the nature and character of God, right? So when we complain, we anchor our complaint in who and what God is. So in other words, we don't look to the brokenness and then say to the brokenness, I can't believe you're so broken. Instead, we say, God, we know that you are a God who saves. So that's, that's where it starts, in the nature and character of God. Satan's hope is that in the brokenness, we will lose sight of who and what God is. And so we start there. We can come before a God who saves. We can come before a God who has forgiven. This is a, an individual who wrote this. We're not sure. It could be David. This is an individual who has experienced God's favor before, and now he's coming back to him. And so he's showing you and me, if we're going to lament, we have to trust in who and what God is. But he says something that's kind of interesting in verse 3. He says, you withdrew all your wrath, and you turned from your hot anger. This is one of those things I think we tend to struggle with God, is that he's not only a loving God, but he's a just God. And because he's loving, he's just. Because he's just, he's loving. Here is an individual who, who has experienced God's love, but also has experienced what we might refer to as discipline. How many of you guys, when you were disciplined as kids, enjoyed it? Anybody? Like, I was never like, woohoo, I got spanked. Like, this is, this is awesome. Like, I'm so happy that I got it. We got some kids here, and like, that's, I mean, that's real. Well, for you guys, like, some of you guys today, like, it's not going to end well. And so you might have to lament the discipline of your parents. It's very practical and personal for some of us. Me, on the other hand, I'd hope that that's just, I'm hopeful I'm past that point. But we, we have God, God does discipline, right? I want to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. It says this. When we talk about God's discipline, I got to flip there. This is referring to our earthly fathers. It says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that's referring to God, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And so there's a constructive action that God takes to draw our attention, to get us to turn to him. And then the author continues in verse 11. He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. So in in the psalmist is writing this, he's acknowledging their sin. He's acknowledging that he is in a culture of sin. Now, the psalmist himself may not necessarily have been the individual who sinned, but he's at least being wrapped up into all of it. And so we could feel that way as we turn on the news and we see that there's rioting, there's all this stuff going on. We can feel like, man, if you're like me, you can feel a sense of self-righteousness. 
I, I will confess my sin. I said, man, if only these people knew that, that the, the Republican Party isn't the Savior, the Democratic Party isn't the Savior, the government isn't the Savior, there's no Savior outside of Jesus Christ. Lamenting has to be anchored in the nature of God. And so we see that God sometimes will draw our attention in a way that we necessarily may not like, but that is hopefully to draw our focus back to him. Because what Satan wants us to do is to focus on the brokenness, and that's what grief and pain that's in our own personal heart does, is it makes it hard for us to see clearly the reality of the world. So here is the psalmist starting with God. He's not starting with the problem. That's important. We make sense? We don't start with the problem. Like, God, these people who are doing all this are idiots, or they're super smart, and I need to go join them. Start with God, right? That's where we start, in the nature and character of God. When we experience brokenness, we start with God. Like, God, I lost my job, and I thought if, you, if, you, if I were to live in a life of integrity with ethics, uh, you would provide for me. Or, God, I thought that because I loved you, my kids wouldn't get, get sick. Or, God, I thought because I went to church that I wouldn't get attacked. We don't start with the problem. We start with the nature and character of God. And I think this is important because we're in a society right now where it feels like everything is breaking down. And you're like, what do you do with this? Well, we start with God. And that's what the psalmist is showing us, is that God is a redemptive and loving God. And this is when he takes his petition to God in verse 4. He says, Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. So this is somebody who's saved. And he's experiencing what we might refer to as the discipline of God, or we might not like to say it, the wrath of God, he's experiencing a constructive God who, who is trying to help. In verse, verse Romans chapter 4, we talk about faith. It's important for us to realize when we come to lamenting, I think it's important for us to realize how we're saved. Because a lot of people, when we read the Old Testament, we tend to think that salvation is through works. For some reason, somehow it's saved. Just like we're saved today by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, so too were those saints that are in the Old Testament. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. It's never been because of something you've done. It never will be and it never has been. Romans chapter 3, verse, verse 4 says this. Now stay with me and I'll explain why this makes sense. It says this, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham was saved by his belief and hope in a coming Messiah. Now, the reason this is important, because a lot of us, when we lament, when we're in brokenness, what do we tend to do? We tend to turn towards works rather than turn towards God's grace. So what Satan wants you to do when you're anxious is he wants you to work out of that anxiousness. He doesn't want you to sit in the under... God's word. He doesn't want you to open up the Bible. He doesn't want you to sit down and pray. Instead, he wants you to be driven towards works. And what happens is we end up with more anxiety. We end up with more fears. We get exhausted. We become more bitter. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's turning to a redemptive God, and he's trying to sit under his grace, and he's lamenting. He's not working, church. Do we understand? He's not working. Instead, he's experiencing the grace of God in a redemptive and a saving way. He's acknowledging a need for a Savior. We can't fix what's going on. We, we can't. Only Jesus can. 
And so we come to Jesus and say, God, would you fix this? That's the dependency and the humility. That's the difficult reality to it is we can't put our hands to the most important things in our life and fix it. Instead, we need God to fix it. You will be fixed or saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because it works. Everything we do is through the grace of God. Sometimes we know when we're working because we're, we're anxious and we're bitter and we're angry and we're worn out. And here the psalmist is saying, start with the nature of God and we see who and what God is and then experience his salvation. His salvation isn't necessarily just in what we would refer to in a fancy word as salvific, meaning that you trusted and believed in the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins. Really practically, sometimes we just need a savior to, for me to help me be a good husband. Like, I, God, please don't let the words that go through my mind come out of my mouth, and please don't even let those words come into my mind. Like, I need you to help me to even be a good husband or a good father. Like, I don't want to ask my kids for forgiveness or apologize because I've disciplined them out of anger, and so I need a practical reality or practical savior right here, right now. And so the psalmist is saying that God is the means of salvation and the place of lamenting. He's not focused on the problem. He didn't start with the problem. He started with God, looked into what God has done for him, and now we begin to see the lament in verse 5. How are we doing so far? Are we doing okay? Are we doing good? Are we still awake? Right? Well, you've been talking for a long time. I need you to hurry up. I'm trying. I really am. There's a lot here. I'm trying to go through it really fast. Like, we're only in verse 5. Like, we've been here for 15 minutes. All right, so I'm going to hurry up. Verse, verse 5, will you be angry with us forever? So here's the psalmist. He's talking to God. Like He's experiencing this, right? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? Now, that word revive is all-encompassing. It's like the totality of life. God, will you hold back all good? And so the psalmist is looking to God as a source of good. He's not looking to anything in the world. He's saying, God, will you provide all of your good for us. Can I experience the life that I experienced yesterday or 10 years ago? Can I have the joy that I had as a kid? God, when I was first saved, I remembered the communion and the closeness with you. Will you revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? He continues in verse 7, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So he's, he's complaining. He's doing a pretty good job complaining, isn't he? Like, I've, been in, I've complained a few times and made it a lot worse. <laughs> I can hear Stephanie's voice, like, you're not helping the situation. <laughs> I didn't complain the way I should have complained. And so he's shown us really practically that God is big enough to handle that which we're most deeply concerned with. We don't have to come before God and lie and say, God, I'm doing good. He knows you're not doing good. He wants you to bring that before him. He wants you to experience the, the, the temporary salvation, if you will, of your anxiety of money so that you can trust in the eternal salvation of Jesus Christ's forgiveness for your sins. And so God has a love that is, that is right here for us today that helps us to believe and trust all the more in what he's going to do tomorrow. And so he's saying, God, show me your steadfast love. And then he says something in verse 8 that I think is powerful, and I want you to hold on to this. He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, his saints, but let them not turn back from, sol- from, from folly. What the, what, what the psalmist is trying to get us to do here is to, to trust in Jesus' salvation. And so we say if we want to lament, we first have to trust in the nature and character of God. And then we have to trust 
in God's salvation from that immediate context. Because here's what your emotions are going to do. Your emotions in the moment are going to lie to you. Your emotions in the moment are going to tell you the grief you feel right now is what you're going to feel for eternity. In some ways, even the emotions of joy will lie to us and say the joy you feel now is the joy you'll feel for eternity. We will have joy that is inexpressible. The joy we have now is but a glimmer of what the joy in eternity will be. And so what Satan wants us to do is to focus on or be trapped in our own mind, our own emotions, or in the moment, and lose sight of who and what God is so that we can't hear the voice of God. Did you guys catch that? That's important. Uh, Satan wants you to hear the noise and the brokenness. He wants you to focus on all the car crashes, all the wars, all the different dogmas that are taught so that you don't hear the most important voice, and that's the voice of God. Because when we become detached from the voice of God, we become detached from our source of peace. And that's what lamenting does, is it puts us in the presence of God. And if we focus on who He is, we can experience His salvation, and then we can have that which we need most, is healing and peace and joy. So really practically as a pastor, like why should we lament is because if we don't lament what happens in our heart and souls, we become bitter and angry. And we focus on that instead of focusing on who and what God is and experiencing his peace and joy. This might sound kind of harsh, and I don't mean it in a harsh way, but since moving to Southwest Iowa, I've learned something about people here. I don't think we lament well. As Midwesterners, we love stoicism. I don't guys expect you to know what stoicism, but we, we don't like like super giddy people. Like, you can laugh, but you can't laugh too much. Like, if like, that's embarrassing. Like, right, take it back down here. Okay, this is okay, but not up there. And if you're depressed, like, you can be a little depressed, but don't be really deeply depressed. Like, it's uncontrollable sobbing where there's just, especially in public, right? Like, you, you can be kind of sad, but not here. So we really like stoicism. What we can do is we can have those highs and lows, and we can bring them to God. And what I've learned as Midwesterners here in this culture, if you guys were to travel around and you went down south, you would hear an, uh, uh, a vocal accent, right? Like you all as Midwesterners, we say, oh, like we don't even know we have an accent. We have an accent. If you were to go to, in, in, to like New York, you'd say, I can't even do it. Quarter, quarter, quarter. Anybody? Have, you got it? You, went, you know what I'm trying to do, right? Like you're embarrassing yourself right now. Uh, but there's accents. There's emotional and spiritual accents to areas. And one of the things I've learned as Midwesterners is we don't, we don't lament well. And so what happens is, because we don't lament well, we don't get the cancer of grief out of our heart, and so that gets sewn into who we are. And I found that people in the Midwest tend to be more angry and more bitter. And I can actually tell where someone's from by having a conversation with them. I don't say that to belittle you, I don't, or, or, or if you're from the Midwest, born and raised here in the Midwest, so I'm... I'm just acknowledging that the community that's around us does not lament well, not in a, a self-righteous way, but hopefully in a pastoral way or in, a, in what you would think as a physician saying, this is what, how we need healing. So we can't necessarily look to our neighbors to lament well. Instead, we have to lament well in the church. And that's where my hope for us is we can live counterculturally to our neighbors, I was talking to somebody this week or Monday, and I said, I'm, that, that, that bitterness and that anger, like, I'm, I am attacked, or uh, fatigued with being attacked. Like, I am fatigued from being attacked. I, the third time's a charm. I finally got it out, all right? Like, I, I'm just, I'm kind of worn out. 
And a lot of times what God does is he, before you can preach or teach something, he has you live that out. And so I need to lament this week. Like, God, like that, I've experienced the bitterness of my neighbors. And, and my heart is becoming angry. So this isn't just something that I'm saying that you guys need. Like, this is for me. If anybody gets this, like, you're the only one who benefited from that sermon, let me tell you. Like, that might be the case, and that's okay. But I need to take that. God, I'm getting, I'm getting worn out. I can feel the bitterness setting in. And so if we live in a time in a community where that's kind of the social norm, we're going to be influenced by it. And if we want to be healthy, we have to be intentional about pursuing that health. And so what I'm saying, church, is God loves you. He cares for you. He doesn't want you to hold in your heart something that will prevent you from hearing and knowing his voice and experiencing his peace and joy. And here's what the psalmist does. We, we trust in the salvation of God. As we continue to read here in verse 9, he says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our lands. And he begins to anchor it in God's um, nature again. His steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace kiss each other. So he's drawing this imagery for us. So he says, this is who God is. This is what I'm going to do, essentially. And now he's beginning to have hope. He's saying, these are the eternal truths of what, what God is, is that steadfast love is who God is, and those who experience his love faithfully will experience righteousness and then peace. He's saying those two get married. Like, we don't expect oil and water, water to come together, right? We, we know that those two don't come together, but we know that righteousness brings about peace, and the only way we can be righteous is through Jesus Christ, faithfully experiencing his love, and if that's the case in verse 10, then 11 is experience of faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky, and here's the 12, 12 and 13. I love this because his heart kind of turns. He says, yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. So he says, God, will you be angry forever in verse 5? But then in 12, he's turned the corner. Do you see? This is what healthy complaining does. It helps us turn the corner. This is lamenting accomplishes. And in verse 13, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. That's what the psalmist is saying. If I know and trust in the nature and character of God, experience his salvation, I can have hope in these eternal truths. So Satan wants you and me to see the messes in life and be disappointed that your iced coffee that you made is no more. And so it's all out. Like that's what he wants you to focus on. In the middle of a sermon, your kid spills your coffee. All right? Very practical reality. God gives us pictures here on earth sometimes. But now we have a team cleaning it up. Right? Isn't this incredible? I love it. Like, you can't, this is an experience that you can't, this is, this is the goodness of God. If we complain and lament the right way, we experience God's goodness. Satan doesn't want you to hear and experience God's voice. Instead, he wants you to hear and experience the brokenness of the world, so that drowns out who and what God is. So we have to be intentional, especially where we're living, in the society we're living, in, the time we're living, to say, God, there's a lot of brokenness, and I don't know what to do with it. Like, I'm hurting. And God's big enough to answer that. He's big enough to handle that. He loves you. You're his daughter, his son, and he wants you to come before him. That's what God wants. And we say, what's the practical application for verse 85? Or, um, for 85? It's, have you ever lamented? If not, I'd encourage you to lament. Like, you don't have to be good before the Father. 
You can be you before the Father. And sometimes God puts us in a situation to experience the world's brokenness so that we can experience the salvation of Jesus Christ in that immediate context so that we can know that He loves us the way that He loves us each time a little bit more. And so I would say, have you lamented? The second way I might apply this is, have you given other people the freedom to lament? I mean, just like messy people come to you and they're broken. Now, I, I, we, don't, we want to be careful with that because it takes a mature believer to handle a lament properly because the worst thing that could happen is then you begin to lament back with them. You're like, man, all these people are doing this. They're so stupid. You're like, I know they're so dumb. Like, that's not, that's not what we want. Instead, you just listen and then you point them to God. You say, I know the world needs Jesus Christ. Until the world has Jesus, there will be brokenness. He's the answer. He's the solution. So practically, have you lamented? And two, are you willing to let other people lament? Now, I would say focus on the vertical before you went to the horizontal. But we have to be people who allow ourselves to express how we really feel. I, I'm, I, I've been wrestling with bitterness and anger myself. And so I'm constantly putting them before God. Like, I'm, I'm fatigued with being yelled at. I just can't, t- like, if another person yells at me, like, I'm, I might lose, I might go insane. Like, I, like that, that's how I feel right now. And yet I know that God's truth to anchor me in the faithfulness and love of Jesus Christ is true. And so I know, despite the way I feel, I'm not going to lose it. God's power is too great to pull me out of his hand. So practically, church, I would just encourage you, this week something's going to happen to lament. If not today, if you're not feeling that right now, I would encourage you, to lament. That, that makes sense? We got, who's more confused now than you were at the beginning? Anybody? I can start over. We'll go back through. We got it. Got it. Yeah, we're good. We didn't really get it, but we're good. I just, I love you guys, and we're experiencing things in an unprecedented fashion, and we just need to be honest. Like, this is, this is too much for us to handle. We got to be able to take it to God. Grief becomes like a cancer that will well up and it will overflow. And so lamenting is like the means in which we maintain our sanity and it maintain our, our mental health. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you are an incredible God who has allowed us to come in your courts with grief on our face. You, we don't have to come happy. We don't, we don't have to come dressed well. Instead, we can come before God and say, you love us and you care for us. We, we can be who we are. We can be honest about the way we're feeling and know that you've accepted us, that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that we will be healed by grace from you, simply by trusting our faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray for us in here. I know that Satan has lied to people in this room. I know that he has tried to hurt them this week. I know that he's made them feel miserable. And so what I ask that the Spirit would push those lies out of our heart and our mind and the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ, of your steadfast love, would resonate in our hearts. I ask that the Holy Spirit would be like a physician at work in our heart and mind, healing. I ask that as Satan tries to drown out your voice, we would instead would trust in you and hear your voice and experience your peace. And so Lord, I pray that right here in this place, your Holy Spirit is being poured out, that you are granting and giving life, that you are reviving that we can say, truly, our God in heaven has revealed himself, that he is making himself known, and that his voice is in our heart and our mind. Let us be people who go in peace with joy, 
not because of something we've accomplished, but instead because of what you're accomplishing in our life. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in here. I ask that this would be the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.